listeners, welcome back to the Practical Family Podcast. I am Jen Bryant, and I have a returning guest today. Sarah Beckman is the author of Alongside, A Practical Guide for Loving Your Neighbor in Their Time of Trial. That was the book we talked about the first time we spoke, Sarah. That was almost two years ago now, was it? Oh, and you're back. You're back because you've got a second book, but also I want to bring up the fact that you are so much closer to me than you used to be. You're, you're like an island away now. How did that happen? Yes, it's crazy. So when we spoke last, I guess it's three years, Jen, I'm just realizing because we spoke when the book came out in 2017 alongside and then right. um, now it's 2020. Who knew? <laughs> but um, I sure can't keep track of this year yet myself. Nope. <laughs> with all that's going on. But anyhow, I, um, I was living in New Mexico at the time and just literally in the last month, I have um, taken a position. I've accepted a call to pastor a church in Maui. And it's a long story how that happened, probably a whole nother podcast. But the ultimate, the thing we need to understand is just that for me, the call it God's been working on me for about a year. So about when hope in the hard places released last March, which is book two, I felt a nudge from the Lord to go to Hawaii because our church in Albuquerque was launching a campus in Maui. And when I felt that prompting that little niggling voice in the back of my mind from God, I was laughing like, are you kidding? I do not have time to go to Hawaii to help this church, which is just all I thought it was going to be. Never to pastor it, never to move here, none of that. I literally just felt like, well, he wants me to help with something. I'll see if I can find time. And in the end, I, uh, we had a very busy spring. The book launch, the very week God prompted me the first time about Hawaii was the book was launching four days later. So that was crazy. And going through that, and I graduated a child from high school, a child from college. My child, the college graduate got married in June, and we had some travel for a different child who was studying abroad and a marriage cruise we were speaking on. So we were, we were so busy. And I wasn't, I was like, I don't have time to listen to you, God. And so anyhow, I came to Hawaii my first time in September. And was here just helping the campus get up and running and really acting as a liaison between our main campus and uh, the Maui campus. And I, I visited September, October, November, January. And in that whole time, God was continuing to work on my heart. And really, I was starting to feel that pastoral call, which I had never felt in my history of ministry. And I've done a lot of ministry, but really as an author and speaker to women's groups and couples and that whole thing. And I've been doing that for 12 years. And as you know, my passion is really to love people in hard places and come alongside them and give encouragement and support. And um, I've done disaster relief and I've led mission trips. And so I, my friends laugh and say, you've really been pastoring people for years. You just didn't have the title, but I, I didn't have that call. And it was, there was a distinct shift and, you know, the leadership in, in our church sort of recognized that. And over time, it just was more and more apparent that God was calling me in. And um, the other people that were pastoring, um, we were working together well. We've worked together all through the transition. Um, and just God, we just all kind of knew there was something bigger afoot that God was doing something. And it's just hard to even explain. But here I am. And I started my, my job 
officially, honestly, like a, 10 days ago was really my first official day. And that was March 15th, 2020, which is literally COVID-19 like ravaging the earth right now. And so I can't even believe that I'm in the middle of the Pacific and I'm navigating what everyone's navigating, which is my children have gone from college to online college and they're moving home and they are across the country and my daughter-in-law's pregnant and she is navigating like, where do I live? And I can't be in New York City. And so she and my son were in separate states for a while and quarantines and roadblocks and mandatory stay shelter in place. And so I, like everyone else listening, um, whether you're listening to this far in the future or current now day, 2020, it's just, it's a crazy time to be alive is what we keep saying. And many of us are feeling that whole notion of what it feels like to be in a hard place and to feel like we, our hope is pressed and our faith is being stretched and our normalcy is no longer and we're grieving things and there's loss and all of that is going on. And so crazy that you and I, Jen, had made this plan to talk two months ago and we didn't know about COVID-19 and we didn't really know that we would be neighbors <laughs> from Northern Island. So it's just the Lord is, is bigger than it all. Isn't that just an incredible testimony to his timing and that he knows and he's prepared us really for such a time as this. I keep going back to the book of Esther for this reason, because he did not know that she was being raised up for this. We did not know that our words would need to be impactful for right now. And I just want to cry thinking about it because it's amazing. It feels like an, an incredible responsibility. And at the same time, God is so good and he's so faithful in it. And that has got to be part of the hope <laughs> that he gives us during hard times that we can see in the midst of it afterward. You know, we can look back and remember, gosh, Lord, you led us through all of these places. And it's incredible. I keep using the word incredible because it really is just in my mind. It's inconceivable yes. <laughs> that, right. that uh, we would be here now. So what do we do with it now? You know, so when, when I contacted you, it was really on a whim, honestly, because I had just spent time with a good friend who has a chronic illness. And it's not an illness that's unfamiliar to me. Actually, God had me walk with someone through this same illness in my younger years. And even that was like, Lord, you prepared me for some kind of supportive effort in this now new friendship. And so we'd had a difficult week and I'm here as the friend who has not experienced what she is in chronic pain and everything like this. And I just had to ask her, I feel silly even just saying this or asking, but how do I support you? I mean, is this helpful for me to just sit here and be with you, hold you, hug you? You know, I'm always worried about what else can I do? And we talked a lot about that in the alongside book because alongside, as you said, is really help for us and how we can help others. Right. But your new book, Hope in the Hard Places, which I discovered because I was having that hard week and then I went to your site and realized, she wrote another book. I'm so, I have to jump on this and, and really dive into this subject some more. And what it did for me was it gave me a window into, into the experience of my friend as much as you can understand when you're not in those same shoes, right? So Sarah, talk to us a little bit about why Hope in the Hard Places came about after 
the alongside message. Yes. Well, it's so interesting because when alongside came out, right, you mentioned it's about how do we love our friends and neighbors and family and coworkers well in the middle of any difficulty they're having, whether that is grief, loss, chronic illness, cancer, divorce, infertility, just whatever difficult situation, how do we walk alongside them and love them well? And when I would speak or travel or do interviews or talk about alongside, oftentimes I was getting similar feedback from people, which is, was different things, but all pointing to the same thing. What about me if I'm the one? that's in trial. Is there a book for me? And so it was sort of born out of that. And, and additionally, there was a little bit of a nuance there that one of the elements of hope in the hard places is that a lot of people told me expressed, my friend doesn't want to receive my help. How do I break through that barrier? Or I understand what you're saying because I've been on the receiving end of help and it's really difficult for me to accept it. And so originally I, it's a very funny story, actually. I was going to write a book all about receiving help and how to actually receive help when you're in crisis. And I pitched the publisher and I had a whole outline for the book. And I was so excited because I knew that this was a pain point that people were experiencing, that I'd heard it over and over and over and over at my book table and at the back of the room and just on emails, just it, this notion of how hard it is. And the publisher said, okay, so if it's so hard and they don't want to do it, do you think that they're going to go to the bookstore and buy a book and try to learn how to do it? And I was like, ah, caught, I'm caught. You're exactly right. If they don't want to do it, they're not going to want to do it. So I can't compel them to want to do it. But what it pushed me to that next level, which is what do people want when they're in a crisis? What are they looking for? And I actually surveyed people and what they repeatedly said is they wanted hope. They wanted resources. They wanted encouragement. They wanted practical tools of how in the world do I walk through the struggle? And so alongside is very practical for those of us who might be wanting to help a friend in crisis. And in the same way, Hope in the Hard Places was written and designed to be a practical guidebook as well. So that when you hit the crisis, when you're walking through navigating COVID-19 and you've lost your job or you are, you know, all of a sudden your kids are all home and, and your routine is erupted and just like displaced anything, whether you're grieving a loved one who maybe has really been afflicted by COVID-19, you know, any of those things. I mean, there's so many byproducts of what we're facing right now as a, as a world um, that cause us to have a hard place. So this was the way that I can also reveal those tools about how to help, um, how to accept help and why you should. So there's a couple chapters in the book that address that, but the rest of it is this big picture of answering what people want is how do I get hope, practical tools, encouragement, and help. So it's both sides of the equation. And it was, I was sort of pushed there, I got to say, and I'm happy I did it. And I'm happy my publisher is smart. And here we are. Truly, truly. I, and I love that you were able to, to walk us through that process, even in writing and publishing, because what people don't realize is that these good ideas don't just come and then you write a book about it. You have to massage it for a while. You have yeah. to test it out on other people. And it's so interesting that even when you get to the point of pitching it to a publisher, that 
they have their eye on the kind of the wider market. And that's yes. why it's a good thing to be able to have that experience traditionally publishing a book and, and having people throw those hard questions back at, out at you because it's, it's questions like, again, who are you writing to? What are you offering them? How is their life going to be different because of what you're writing? <laughs> right. And will they go buy a book about it? I was like, wow, no, I guess they won't. But they might read about how to accept help in a book about what they really want is hope and encouragement. That's what it is. And because this is the felt need right here. And, and for those of you who follow any of the stuff that I write about writing, the writing process, the felt need has to be the most obvious thing. Because really, if you see this on a bookshelf, people don't naturally gravitate toward the solution. They gravitate toward the problem they're feeling inside. And I think that also applies with when we're trying to help people too. That's why I was trying to get clear in my head about what my friends who are in crisis need. Because what do I need when I'm in crisis? I need hope and encouragement. I don't need answers at least right away, you know? And that's the, the thing that I can still fall into. The other day, my friend was just sharing with me how she was feeling about all of this craziness going on and, and the restrictiveness of the laws that are being passed in all these states right now to stay away and not touch anybody, you know? And I empathize, but then I also went to a solution. And I'm like, shoot, why did I do that? <laughs> why did I do that? Because I'm so, I'm so proactive and I have to shut some of that part down about me sometimes to just sit and be. And um, yeah, it's something working out all the time. Well, it sounds like you were a good student of alongside because you do understand that whole notion of we do want to show up and be present and we, you know, like it depends on the tightness of the relationship, which we talk a lot about in alongside, which is like, what level relationship do you have? And if you are a tier one friend, like a closest close friend, there is a time and a place where you may offer, you know, more towards like practically how can we navigate this, right? right. If you're a two or three or four, no, that's not your place. It's not your conversation to have. How do we fix? You would come alongside and listen or just support or encourage. But I loved what you said earlier, Jen, and I just want to go back to that, is that you said that you asked her the question, how can I best support you right now? And for anyone listening, I want them to know that that is one of the very best mm -hmm. questions that you can ask a friend in need, because we may assume that we know what they need or want, and some people will be very, very different. So I have a friend who lost a husband, and she said very specifically, so I didn't really even have to ask, but it, it's where I learned the principle from. She was able to speak what she needs. So this is for both sides of the coin. For if someone doesn't ask or say what they need, we have to ask, what is it that you need? She was very clear. She said, I don't want to be alone. Mm -hmm. I need company. I need to be busy. I want to have activities. Being alone is not helpful for me right now. So we kept her busy because she requested that. But I could assume that someone else might want to be busy because that friend wanted to be busy in their grief. And that's the wrong assumption to make because I don't know what they want or need. So if you are alongsiding someone, you ask if they're not telling. If you are in the middle of a hard place yourself, I would strongly recommend that you do everything you can to be clear with people and specifically ask for what you need. And so in alongside, we offer specific help. 
in hope in the hard places, if it's you facing the struggle right now, if you're homebound in COVID-19, if you are struggling with kids and navigating balance, and if you're grieving a job or if you're grieving a loved one, or if regular life is going on amidst COVID-19 and you're still struggling, the best thing you can do to help yourself in a hard place is to be very clear about what you need. I need space. I need just some quiet time to reflect on what's happening in my life, or I need to be busy, or I would love if you came over and helped me because I have some tasks that I'm doing, and it would be really helpful to have someone just pitch in and help me. Like, if someone's grieving, you know, they may want help cleaning out a closet of a loved one. And if they haven't read alongside, they don't know how to make a specific offer. So you have to take it on yourself if you're in the middle of a hard place to just really say like, and ask yourself honestly, what is it that I really need? What would be helpful for me? You have to be willing and courageous enough to say right now, this is what would help me. So I think you, you're winning when you asked your friend. And I love that she was really clear. You know, you and I talked about that before we got on the show, but you know, she was pretty clear about what is helpful and what's not helpful for her in this time. And you gave her permission to share that. Right, right. And sometimes that's just the open door because, because when you're in a hard place, I mean, I, for, so for myself, when I've been in places of just maybe a deeper emotional state, maybe like a depressed state because I just experienced a loss or I'm feeling hopeless in, in a relationship or something, I don't know what to ask for necessarily, but I feel like if I put it out there in the world, it's going to cause undue burden on somebody else. Now, tell me, is this, is this a universal feeling? Because the, what, what is that thing that keeps people from asking so that they can receive the help? Oh gosh, so many. I could list them. It's, it's a lot of different things, I think, that are the roadblocks that stand in our way of receiving help or asking for what we need. Pride, mm -hmm. in some cases, um, not maybe specifically to what your example was, but for sure pride. Sometimes it's shame. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's embarrassment. Other times it's guilt. And it's, the guilt is sort of tricky because like it could be guilt that my problem doesn't seem big enough to bother the world with. Mm -hmm. So I feel guilty because there's people that are worse off than me or this person has cancer. So my drama does not matter, but we just have to understand that each of us and what we're walking through is worthy of someone's time and attention. And that would you want to be there for someone in the same way? That's what I always reverse myself into thinking. Would I think it's important enough to help a friend that was going through that? Absolutely. So then why wouldn't I want to ask a friend to help me? Right, right. And that actually reminds me of a conversation I had with my sister who just had her first baby. He's almost a year. And she. And we talked about this often and she's given me leave to mention this on the podcast too. When a new mom needs help, she thinks she has it one day and then I don't know where she doesn't and everything's chaos, but who do I reach out to for help? And then nobody's offering or nobody's inviting me. And, you know, I've been there too, right? All of a sudden you just feel so isolated in this place of just caring for this crying, pooping thing that there's no end in sight to your loneliness, you know? And I said, well, why don't you put it out there to just have people over or something or just say, Hey, can we hang out today? And she's like, no, I don't want to bug them. And, you know, we're talking through all these things that we're feeling about, I don't want to ask because, 
And that's the question that came to mind first. It's like, well, if, if somebody called you for help and somebody called and said they wanted this, would you, what would you feel? She goes, of course I'd want to help. I go, that's what they're feeling. But you, you're assuming that they're going to be bothered by your request. Like what kind of person is bothered by an honest, genuine request? You probably don't need to be friends with that person, you know, or you probably are not friends with that type of person. So most people are willing. Yeah. And when we think about it, we're, my husband likes to say that when we don't ask for help, we're robbing someone else of the blessing of serving and loving us. And I would take it to a next level and say that if we are commanded by God to love him first and then love our neighbor as ourself, if we don't allow people that opportunity to love us in that hard place, then we are not giving them an opportunity to fully develop the spiritual faith depth that God is asking of them. Because if there's no one to help and no one to love as our neighbor, then we cannot grow and develop fully as mature Christians. So I just think of that twofold notion of robbing them of that chance to love me because what I like, I'm too good to let someone help me, you know, like, so what stands in the way? And for me, it was like, I can do it myself. You know, that pride of like, I should be able to handle my own situation without someone else helping me. And I should be able to manage my own family. I should not feel depressed or anxious. I should, you know, all those shoulds just, you know, throw them out the door and recognize that you would be lining up to help someone else in any of those situations. You'd be first in line. And I also like to remind people that if someone can't truly help you, they're not going to say yes. Mm-hmm. So give them the opportunity to make the decision for themselves, yes. right? You know, like we just, we've already answered. We've had the whole conversation, a one-way conversation. I don't need this. Oh, I know I shouldn't. Oh, well. We go through the whole entire conversation in our mind and then we shut it down before we've ever opened our mouth and talked to another human being and let them have a say-so. And yeah, we have to trust that they're grown adults and they're human beings who know how to take care of their needs. And if they're too busy to help with an errand, then they're going to say so. And we have to put the shame, the pride, the shame, the embarrassment, the guilt, and we have to just shut it down because that's not of God. And we have the onus on us to take care of ourselves. And God gives us community and other people and the, the brain and the voice to ask for what we need. And we just have to be brave enough to say, I'm hurting. I'm in need. I am not coping well. I need you. Mm-hmm. That is the strongest thing that we can do when we're in that vulnerable place is just to surrender our will to keep it together ourselves. Yes. It's, it's a strength and it's, and it's brave. Just as you said, it's brave to be able to release that and just put it out there and let other people have the chance to meet our needs yeah. for sure. Now, I loved your statement in the book that God is not afraid of your why. And often what I hear from folks in particularly hard places, maybe health-wise, maybe circumstance-wise, especially right now during this unseen enemy situation of COVID-19 and coronavirus, why, Lord? Why are you allowing this to happen? Talk about the importance of needing to to wrestle with those hard questions with the Lord from a spiritual standpoint and then the hope that he gives us during this time. Yeah, I think that the most important thing that you, you've you said it is that God isn't afraid of us asking why. So if, if it helps us to lament 
or question or wonder, then we basically are allowed that opportunity and that right. And when you read the Psalms, you read through the Psalms and they are filled with lament and question and wonder and laying everything plain before God. And when we lay it plain before him, it's, it's also kind of a form of surrender. It's, it's putting it in the open instead of letting it ruminate in our mind. Because when we let it sit in our mind, it's like in the darkness, right? And when things are brought into the light, then they don't have the same kind of power that they have when they're in the dark. And so when it's in the light and we're laying it plain and the, the word lament, I, I, I want to say, I mean, you know, maybe some theologians, I'll, I'll, I'll get this a little bit wrong possibly, but I want to say that there's like a word that lament almost means to like throw it up, to just cast it out, to spit it out, to lay it plain before God. So he welcomes that. The problem is that when you also read the Psalms, you'll see that oftentimes they have a resolution where there's a slow shift. We spit it out, we lay it before God. And then by the end, there's sort of that resolution that happens where then we are exalting God and we are understanding that he is sovereign, that he is the maker of all things, the ruler of all things, the sovereign one, the ever present help in times of trouble. So it's almost like a process that allows us to get to the other side, but it's okay to do it. And I think that we oftentimes misplace blame too. And there's a chapter in the book, it's called Detour. And it's this whole notion of it's okay to say why, it's okay to be sad, it's okay to be you know, wondering and asking questions. But if we do the spiritual work of walking through really who gets ownership of what the cause is sometimes, you know, like it was very sad, I'll never forget. I saw a comment that someone made and they basically said, I feel like because I'm not going to church, God gave my daughter a brain tumor. Oh, no. And right, N to the O, N to the O. But we have a false understanding of who God is and how things happen in the world. We don't always get an explanation, but there's one thing I try to do in the book is lay out the sort of the theological understanding of why things happen. And so brain cancer, cancer is in the world because of the original fall of man, the evil, the disease, that all of that is in the world. God's not sitting up in heaven meeting out, you did this bad, so then this is your consequence for that. You know, we will face consequences from God for our actions, but that is very different than someone having brain cancer because you don't go to church enough. So, you know, this notion of him just sitting up there with like this wand giving or taking away is it's not good theology. And so just understanding like COVID-19 exists in the world because of the fact that there is disease in the world and God is going to work through it. He is going to use it for his purpose. The enemy may get a foothold in this notion of illness and people. But one thing that I have learned is that the enemy can't gain any territory where there isn't sin already. Mm. So if I have the sin of self-doubt or the sin of fear or, you know, the sin of distrust, right? Like, I mean, I'm just being kind of like as plain as I can be, then the enemy is going to want to try and get a foothold in the midst of COVID-19. If I'm already someone who might spiral in that kind of situation where I'm out of control. So the enemy can only operate in darkness. He can't mm. operate in light. 
And, and that is a principle that I, if, if anyone left this podcast with nothing but that, I pray that they would understand that we give him more ground than he deserves and that he is not in charge of COVID-19, that he's going to use it in people's lives where there's already dark places or anyone, any place in the world where sin already exists. Mm. He's going to try and capitalize. But God is also at work and the enemy can't have any territory in a life of a believer who is owned and claimed by God. And so as a, as a means of standing up under it, what we get to do is we get to claim truth. Yes. We get to bring our sin into the light. We get to own that. And part of that is this whole notion of lament. Mm-hmm. Don't sit there in the dark and the mire and the muck and, and sit and stay in the questions, go to the truth and try and help yourself walk through what is true. What do I know to be true? I serve a loving, sovereign God who has my life in his control. Regardless of my circumstance, God still loves me. Regardless of what's going on in the world, the Lord has me in the palm of his hand, right? He will never leave or forsake me, right? It doesn't mean all my circumstances have to be good. It doesn't mean I'm not sitting in my house alone, quarantined perhaps, or that I'm even sick or that I lost a loved one, but he still has us through it all, so... I'm getting a little preachy on you here, but I'm just like, oh, sometimes people just misunderstand, you know, that whole notion of how people, yeah, how it all works. Sarah, Sister Sarah, bring it today because (laughs) this is the reason why God has called you to a pastoral position in this season. And I absolutely agree with, with those who have told you, you know, you've been pastoring all this time. And these are the hardest things. These questions in here that folks bring to their pastors or their spiritual leaders every single day. These are the hardest things that people are going through. It's like, okay, I don't need any sweet answers right now or cute illustrations. I need hope in my hard place. That's all I need. And it's amazing how we need to be able to connect, you know, good theology, bad theology, not necessarily on that academic level, but as it's connected to these very real things, because we misunderstand God and our circumstances when we see God through the grid of our circumstances instead of the other way around. You know, our pastor has given us that illustration for a while now so that we can see, you know, what, right. what is clouding your ability to see who God really is. Let's remind ourselves of who God really is. He is all-knowing. He is loving. He's our shepherd. He's our provider. He's our protector. And so going over all of those truths consistently and constantly is what's going to keep us from falling into those holes of darkness. Our flesh still allows us to be fearful in that way. And it's a warning signal, but it doesn't need to be our identity. It doesn't need to be the thing that crowds our ability to see God because he's so much bigger than that. Right. And you're human. If you want to ask questions like why, and it's okay to be sad, but let's just try not to stay there forever. Amen. That's it. (laughs) Oh, this is so good, Sarah. Okay. We are, I'm going to end this podcast now because I think we've given folks a lot to just sit on and think about. 
there is so much truth here. And both of Sarah's books, Mamas, if you're listening and you need practical advice to help get friends through their hard places, Alongside is her first book, which is a practical guide for loving your neighbor in their time of trial. And her newest book, Hope in the Hard Places, How to Survive When Your World Feels Out of Control. So make sure that you visit Sarah Beckman's site at sarahbeckman.org where you can find her resources, both of her books, and uh, we have them here in the show notes as well, and any other resources that you need during this time. And share this message wherever you can. Um, If you've gotten anything out of this podcast at all, I'm sure that other people need to hear it right now, whether we're in the middle of uh, quarantining or past it. There's so much to be learned from when we find ourselves in the next hard place. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Practical Family Podcast, where we are helping to strengthen moms for real life struggles and where you can find peace and joy in your everyday and right now. So thank you, Sarah, for joining us. I love that you were able to come back and appreciate your time today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Practical Family Podcast. Make sure that you rate us in iTunes. We love five stars. If you've been listening to Practical Family for a while now, be sure to let everybody know what you love about this podcast so that iTunes can share it with other people. In the meantime, I am Jen Bryant, and we are here at Practical Family to help to strengthen moms for real-life struggles, to help you discover your gifts and embrace grace. Grace.